welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. My microphone took a trip to Jamaica and it hasn't quite recovered. Oh, that's right. That's right. So it's like not attached properly to the boom. It's like duct taped on. I recorded a really crappy episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, an episode that was so bad that I scrapped it on that microphone in Jamaica. Well, it's not the microphone's fault that your episode is crappy. It's not the microphone's fault at all. <laughs> it was the vacation mode. I mean, that's what it was. I couldn't get my thoughts to come together in a way, in a cohesive way. It was, it was tough. You were too in vacation mode to uh, focus. Yep, and like a little every, Margaritaville going on. No, it was just every two sentences. I was like, "What do I want to say next? What do I want to say?" Next? And it was wandery, and it was yeah. You just you slowed down. It was I know. Being in Jamaica or just, I mean, I, I really didn't check my work email for like eight days. That's unusual. I've never heard you do that before, actually. I did it when we were in Mexico mid-year. I do it more now because I just feel like if things happen, people will let me know. It's a good feeling. Your team is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, shall we jump into the story that we want to tell? Yeah. This is going to be a, I don't know how, a rough one. A fu- it, I was going to say a fun one, but that would be sarcastic. It's just going to be... Yeah. It's a tough story. I feel like it needs telling though, partially because we started telling the story on the podcast. I think we released that episode in like October or November of 2017. Yep. Yeah. And that was the story of us taking in two kids, your nephew and your not niece. Your My nephew and his half sister. So we want to continue the story, but... I think the one of the reasons that we I want to tell the story is that throughout this year, as I've been interacting with people at different events, or I've been able to come to a couple of the microconf locals with you, a normal question that is asked is like, how many children do you have? How old are your kids? And I've not known how to answer a very basic question of how many children do I have? I sort of never expected that that would be a tough one for me, but it has become a little bit of a tough one. And even now, I still, there's a moment of hesitancy when I answer the question of how many children we have. Me too, because it was three and people would ask the age and I'd say 10, 10 and 14 or 11, 11, 15. Oh, twins? Well, they're not twins. That became a whole conversation. But yeah, now it's like we have two boys and it still feels weird to me to say that. Yeah, it feels weird every time I say it. Me too. So the the big picture of what happened is that in September of 2017, shortly after we'd moved to Minneapolis, Rob and I, well, I got a call from a social worker letting me know that my biological nephew was going to be taken into the care of social services. And without going into a lot of detail about stories that aren't ours... (laughs) We did a lot of soul searching around whether or not we were willing to open our home to him and to his sister. So fast forwarding a little bit. So if you want the beginning of the story, check out episode 146, Power and People, the story of the fall. 
so we talked about in that episode, kind of all of the process of that. Anyway, fast forwarding a little bit, we said, yes, my nephew and his half sister came to live with us. My nephew stayed for about four months. It didn't work out very well. He went to live with another family. His sister stayed and she was with us for almost four years. And we really thought that that was going to be a permanent arrangement, or at least that was the the spirit with which we said yes, and the spirit with which we integrated her into our family. And what happened earlier, well, I guess in March of 2021 is that she went back to live with her biological mother. So we went from briefly four children to three, and we thought that was going to be our landing spot. We thought that was what we had committed to and who we were raising and who was in our family. And she very much became our daughter. We talked about her as our daughter and now she's not anymore. Now she's back living with another family in another state. And so that's some of the process that we've been going through in the last year, year plus. And that's what makes it difficult to answer the question of how many children do you have? Yep. And I mean, there's so much to say here, right? It's like I started making notes and the first thing I typed out is hardest thing I've ever done. That's how I would summarize all of it, both from the start of it in 2017 to integrating a new human into an existing family to then having essentially a protracted legal battle, which is not fun. Anyone who's been to court, paid for lawyers, dealt with the frustration of, is this lawyer even competent? You know, it seems like everyone, it's like, I'm paying you a lot of money. And suddenly I'm, I'm in these, you know, Zoom proceedings and I'm like, I don't know that this person knows what they're talking about. Like, this is crazy to then basically putting her on an airplane, you know, in March. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah, it's been a pretty long story that has been hard at every turn. And I think one of the reasons that it's maybe helpful to talk about it is because I will confess that my superpower and huge weakness as an entrepreneur, as a professional, maybe as a human, is I have tremendous capacity to be very flexible and to be very inclusive and to roll with things. Like I don't and never have shied away from doing hard things or signing on to hard commitments. And neither have you. I mean, we're we're the people who are like, okay, we'll do the hard thing. We planned to have two children. We didn't plan to adopt. We never signed up to be foster parents. Like this was not something that we were looking for. But when someone asked us to do a hard thing that was consistent with what we value and what we think is important in the world, it was not an easy decision, but it was a decision that eventually we said yes to. And without making any grand statement about whether I regret it or not, because that's far too complicated of a story for this podcast. I now realize in retrospect that I wasn't careful enough for myself with the risk I was taking about how hard it would be. My own experience of like, hey, I'm a person who could do hard things, we'll figure it out together was not well informed for this particular challenge even though I'm a psychologist, even though I know a lot about kids and trauma, the process of integrating her into our family, I think was way harder than either of us expected. And then the process of like fighting for her once her biological mother wanted her back. And then the process of having to let her go were all like way beyond what I really had margin for to do well. 
So the thing that I wish that I had done or the thing that I learned and the thing that I think probably less of the folks listening to as entrepreneurs and sort of change makers, creatives, like the people who listen to this podcast are people who sign up for hard things. And I wish I had been way more careful about what I was signing up for um, in retrospect four years later. I think both of us underestimated how hard it would be and didn't expect a lot of things that happened. But in these kinds of stories, because I have family members on my side of the family who have gone through similar experiences and they played out almost the same way. I will say that I was naive. I feel like I was naive in terms of the expectation of what I could handle and of how challenging it would be and of the just how much it derailed our personal life and my my professional life. It's like it didn't suffer. It was just, it made my professional life so much more stressful because I was stressed then at home, then I'd go into work and I was stressed. And then, I mean, to get into even like specifics of like little things of like, when you have one more child, it's like, they were all at three, they were at three different schools. So we had three times the communication in the email. And it was just that much more often that one child was sick and I would have to stay home from work. And these are little things, but each of those added, and those are the little things too. I mean, those are the rounding errors compared to countless hours talking to lawyers and tens of thousands of dollars in legal expenses and dealing with something that I guess I come back to the naive comment, like I had no idea what we were getting into. And I, I agree with you. And I feel the same way that I can't say regret or not. Would I do it again or not? You just can't, you can't say that. Yeah. Right. You just can't. Yeah. But in retrospect, it had a substantial negative impact on a lot of things, including our marriage. Yeah. It was, it was definitely an experience of there's not enough to go around, right? There's not enough energy. There's not enough time. There's not enough affection. There's not enough attention. And I think both of us directed that what the resources that we had inside of us to our kids, to our businesses and not enough to each other. And that that was a tremendous sacrifice. So yeah, this, this little girl lived with us for what was it? 1,267 days? Something like that. Something like that. You almost got a tattoo. Something like that. <laughs> I almost got it. Actually, I know exactly. That is exactly how many days that she lived with us. And of course, there were many like joyful moments as well. And it was gratifying to be able to be helpful. Like we took her with us to Croatia to one of the microconf Europe's a couple of years ago and had this like magical time just exploring Croatia, waterfalls and islands and castles. And then we had a stopover in Paris on the way home. And because you, you said, what were some goals for this year? And each of the kids weighed in and she said, I want to go to Paris or I want to see the Eiffel Tower is one of those two. And we were only there for like 18 hours, 20 hours. Yeah. But you made you made a layover. I said, I'll take you to Paris. And so we did. And I do think that... Um, well, we're trusting that the investment that was made in her life is really significant. I think probably one of the most important things about the experience in terms of what it will mean for her is the role that you played in her life. This is a kid who's never had a, well, as far as we understand, just not had a consistent father present and her own father, you know, was quite ill. And so 
to have you present and to have you as such a role model of how she should be treated, to be treated with respect and regard. And that's one of the things that matters a lot to me because it feels very like beautiful to have offered her the opportunity to have like a really fantastic father. And I'm proud of that. I'm glad that we did that. Yeah. When I think about just the massive difference in her between when she arrived and when she left, like we taught her to read, taught her to ride a bike. We taught her to swim. We taught her to paddleboard. We taught her to travel on airplanes. I think the first time she was ever on an airplane was when you brought her out here. We taught her, what else did Legos? We taught her 3D printing. We taught, you know what I mean? And eating healthy when she first arrived, she like wouldn't, she's like, I don't eat vegetables or something like that. I don't eat fruit. She basically ate top ramen. Top ramen and I mean, mac she and ate and nuggets. She'd been living in a meadow for the summer. She was sort of this like wild child. And when she arrived, it was like, I don't eat those things. And I said, you do now. And it took like months and months and months. And by the end, you know, it was like, she's eating tacos with spinach on them. And I don't know, <laughs> raw cucumbers and just like lettuce with no blueberries. <laughs> just dramatic changes that my, I know anything can be undone or whatever, right? It's like, we, we got some formative years and I think I know made a substantial impact. Good news is like, we're still in touch with her, right? She, she texts and like, when we put her on that plane in March... It was funny is leading up to it, I was like, okay, this is going to, I'm okay with this. This isn't going to be that hard. And we put her on the plane and I was a wreck. Like it just broke me. And for about 24 hours, I was just out of commission. I, and, and in my head, I was like, we're never going to talk to her again. That's actually, I, I honestly believed that that was it, that we wouldn't see her again. Maybe when she was 18, she'd come look us up. That hasn't been the case. And I feel like, you know, the fact that she has a foot, like I could, I could call her now. We text every week or two. She still plays some collaborative games with the the boys on iPads and stuff across the internet. So I actually, f I certainly feel better about it today than I did six or eight months ago. It feels like a happy story for other people, right? Her mother was deep in the opioid crisis and, you know, was very ill and incapacitated and, and she got sober. She got sober because she had another baby and best we can tell she stayed sober and then she wanted her kids back and she's putting her life back together. And I don't, I have my own like fear and cynicism about how long that will last. But from what we can tell, she's having a recovery. Like she's having a happy story. She's got all three of her biological children. She seems to be functioning and loving them reasonably. They, are, they seem healthy and safe. So it's a happy story for her. And I do think it's a happy story for this kiddo to, you know, have come from a place where it was chaotic and unsafe to have found a place where it was safe and she was cared for and loved. And then to be able to go back to her biological family, I, I think that's a happy story for her. I think the truth is it's just not a happy story for us. Like, I, I'm not happy. I'm not happy about it. I'm sad. I miss her. I'm also just, I was so tired from all of the bullshit and work, not of her, although it was a lot. But the thing that really almost undid me was the legal stuff. So it got crazy. It got crazy where people had come across the country, showed up at our house, the beginning of the pandemic with the police demanding their daughter, like it was crazy town. And 
I just found myself teleported into a world and into having to interact with people that I frankly would never put myself in relationship with. And so, yes, hiring lawyers, working with lawyers, like at one point, our lawyer was like, you really need to hire a private investigator. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I have lived my life in such a way that this is not a dance that I want to do. Like I, that was the thing that really almost undid me, I think was the ugliness of that story. And the way that we were treated, not necessarily by her mom, but by the extended family on that side, who were the very people that begged us to take her, just turned into just ugly town, ugly town. Like a crazy like, reality crazy show. Crazy people. Yeah. It, I, yep. I actually haven't watched Tiger King, but I just feel like, what the? Yep. So It's that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we, look, I have extended family that, and even like there were people I interacted with growing up who did crazy stuff like that and who were just these really aggressive, like negative, that's not who I am. That's not who we are. And so, and, and you, I'm sure you had interactions like that as well. And I distanced myself from those people the moment I could. Right. And so it's been decades since I've been forced because I'll meet somebody and be like, wow, yeah, this isn't, I don't think this is going to work out. But like we were forced through by, by taking care of this child to like, try to interact with people who we don't normally, wouldn't normally need to, and who are really, really angry and mean. And I think another part of it that was really hard that I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to on different levels was the weight of the decision. Like we had the choice. I almost want to say it in air quotes, like the choice to decide, do we fight for full and permanent legal adoption do we not fight and let her mom just take her back without a lot of oversight or like any assurance that her mom would be sober? Like it was just this very weird legal loophole that we found ourselves in where, you know, we kind of realized this burden of we thought she was a permanent part of our family. Do we do we go to all the legal trouble to keep her now that our guardianship is being contested by her biological mother. And that kind of decision is so complicated. Like what's best for her? What's best for us? What's best for our boys? What's best for this month? Like there was just no easy way to make that decision. And so one of the things that we landed on is the decision to fight for a while almost as a way of measuring how serious and how organized and how together her mom was. So we, it's like, there was no way for us to know, is she actually sober? Is she pulling it together? Is she able to effectively care for her kids? And there wasn't state involvement at that point. So it was just this very weird situation. And the, I lost so much sleep over, do we just say yes and release her back to her mom? Is she going to be okay? Is she going to be safe? Or do we fight this and try to, you know, I don't know. I, I still, I still have a little like decision trauma from the hours and hours that I spent trying to weigh that decision and what to do. It's an impossible decision. Just like the decision to whether to take the children in the first place. They are impossible decisions. And there is no, there are no win situations. Because if you say, no, thanks, I'm not taking these kids. You, you live with that. And if you take the kids, then... Then what you live with that. <laughs> happens to our life, exactly. Similarly, 
either decision that we would have made was a no win for us. And what I think is painful is that we didn't invite any of this. Like it wasn't consequences of our choices. It wasn't a baby we accidentally had. Like it just wasn't, it just came to us. It was just out of the blue. Remember you like got a phone call one day and you're like, I got this phone call and there's these kids. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. It was so sudden. There was just no notice. And it was like, you have three days to decide or something. I think to bring it back around, like the summary for me is it's one of the, if not the hardest thing I've ever done, just the whole experience. I think be careful how much chaos you do take on. I wished I had thought more about the, you know, the potential challenges that it would raise. Not only because I just kept saying to my head, well, it's like, I, I know how to raise kids. I am a good parent. Therefore, I can take these two new kids into our family and do this. And it's like, there were so many blind spots that I had. I think the word naive that I used earlier is, I think, an accurate, an accurate one. I think I've continued to grow my appreciation for the battles that people are fighting. Like we aren't the only people who have chaotic, hard things happen to them and who still are performing and showing up and like working hard in our lives. So this experience, at least for me, is, you know, something that is is called in my world is ambiguous grief. It's a problematic term, but like essentially peop, there's no category for like the chaos that we've been through. And there's no category for like you had a kid, but you don't have that kid anymore. They didn't die, but they're not part of your family. Like it's such a complicated thing to explain to people, but yet we hold it and it matters a lot and it shapes every part of our life. It shapes our children. But again, that, it's not unique to us. There are people who are coping with the loss of miscarriages or infertility or major illnesses in their family, like things that you just can't see from the outside. And there's no clear, simple way to explain my life and my heart and my family are under tremendous stress and chaos, but we sort of live here now and we're just living with it. So I... I continue to walk really carefully. And when I interact with people who I'm like, whoa, that was, you seem like an asshole. Like I'm a lot more gentle and benefit of the doubt because I know that over the last couple of years, I certainly have not shown up in the best way all the time. And I tried to control the leak of that chaos into my professional life, but I didn't, I wasn't always successful. And so there's certainly a gentleness within me when I look out on others' lives and on others' behavior that I am pretty tempted to give the benefit of the doubt to people. I think that's a good point. And I think to ourselves, like I know last year, as things were unfolding slash unraveling, I started feeling a new sense of empathy for us and forgiveness for us, which is never something I am very hard on myself. I have very high expectations et cetera, et cetera. But I realized, wow, this is really hard and this has been harder than we thought and that's okay. And I'm going to give us a pass on this. I'm going to give us, our family, you and me individually. And, and I think that's something founders can take away, right? It's like when you're going through a really hard time, I mean, there've been times when to make it a, a much, much less minor issue to deal with, but like there were times when you and I were moving across town and also whatever had live streams and had a bunch of stuff going on at work. And I remember saying like, you know what, if I have to literally get Chipotle delivered every night this week for dinner, that's okay. That's not how we live long-term. It's not healthy, but I'm going to give us a pass for like these 10 days, right? That 
we can do whatever we want to take care of ourselves. And that's, I started feeling that way sometime in, it was, there was COVID and there was all this going down. And I remember saying, we just get a pass right now. And if we need to, if I need to work a little less, if we need to spend more money on extra help or on takeout or just anything to make our life easier during this time and be more gentle with, you know, our feelings and one another, like, I think that was a helpful realization for me and, and one that I don't know that I've had in the past that I think other founders can probably take away is there are times when you might need to do that. I do think we did a pretty good job of counterbalancing the painfulness of it with as much beauty as we could, or this is language that matters to me, the the need for beauty and ocean time and outside and beach. Like we spent the first three months of last year in California. And I think some, I don't know, people who follow us on social media or whatever, were probably like, oh, isn't that nice? You've, you're quarantining in California on the beach and oh, look at that. But the reality is that we knew that this might happen. And so we removed our family from our situation so that we could help facilitate that transition. And there was an understory to the pretty social media photos. There was an understory to the, the glitzy Instagram and, and Facebook photos, just that it was this was happening. I have some really good memories of that time in California, and I have some of the most painful memories of recent memory during those times. I certainly, I'm healing from that, I'll say. I think we're nine months out of that. And I won't say healed, but I definitely can look at it with a lens of a little, you know, a little bit of distance. And I'm glad. So just by way of wrap up, we, we don't tell the story to be empathy seeking, but we do tell it one because if you're listening, you've probably been following us on some level for a while. So this is an important kind of factor that has happened in our lives. The question of like, how many children do you have? And we also tell it as an affirmation of whatever difficult things you're going through to be gentle with yourself and to be aware that you're not alone in the struggles that you feel and the things that you're battling. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.